there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, Dr. Tatar, I know you're in. I know you're here somewhere, and uh, I, I need your remedies for jet lag now, just the crazy schedule I've been on. You and I both, Robert, in fact, it's uh, going to get worse before it gets better, I think. I tell you what, we got upcoming events as we kick off Advanced Medicine Monday. He's officially in, Dr. Batar, but I'm going to head out to Seattle after the show today. But you have this weekend coming up in Bremen or Bremen, Georgia. i got to check with Jim Hauber. How do they say it, Bremen or Bremen? And I grew up in Georgia, and I don't remember. I think they pronounce it both ways. Okay. It's sort of like there is a Vienna in Georgia. People will say, isn't it Vienna? No, it's Vienna. So... <laughs> What are you going to do with that? So what do we, what do we, uh, well, let's just tell them about the event because you and Liam Sheff are going to be in the same place at the same time, just about. Yep. Yep. We're both going to give lectures there and then, um, I'll be going on to Dallas from there for the following day to give a lecture out there. All right. So, uh, this Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, I'll also be coming to Atlanta for the Weston A. Price event on Friday. I may get there in time to see the big, uh, Debate between Joel Salatin and Joe Mercola over GMO labeling. That's a fundraiser for, uh, I think the Farm to Consumer, Legal Defense Fund, things like that to help the farmers that are being attacked by federal and state agencies. Yeah, that should be very interesting. I'd like to be a fly on that wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, of course, uh, this week, uh, Wednesday afternoon in, uh, Seattle. We'll get into that. But for now, I just want to share with you my experience briefly up at the Naturopathic Conference in New Hampshire. There's a lot of young young folks. Actually, it was preponderance of women who become naturopaths up there. Very interesting to see that more women than men doing it. But uh, some of these young young kids going into it, if we call them that, are we old enough to talk about these guys as kids? <laughs> they, they they're actually seemingly wanting to be more like MDs and be licensed like MDs. And there was one guy I met and I had him on, Doctor Sensenig, who said, "No, we don't want to do that. We want to go back to our roots in vitalism." Yeah, I think that uh, it's part parcel of uh, a syndrome that a buddy of mine talked about. He's actually a chiropractor, but he talked about how a lot of the chiropractors have this thing where they want to be. He, he referred to them as they want to be, they want to belong to a club, an organization, and the higher the status, the better for them. They're not really looking at what those clubs, and I'm just using the word club here loosely, but they don't care what the clubs really represent. It's just a social standing of that club is seems to be more of an attractant. And I think that when we start to have people that are gravitating towards a certain likeness because of the perceived status, you know, you start ending up being more susceptible to corruption, if you will. Perhaps, yes. you know, and not just corruption financially, but corruption, you know, from a, from an integrity standpoint, from an ethical standpoint, but also from, from what the premise behind your original profession was. Yeah, the uh, corruption in your ideals. That's right. Yeah, that was the message that uh, he was bringing, and I really liked him a lot. I think you would dig it, too. But just getting that message of we don't need to, you know, corrupt our ideals. You know, we've got to be who we are. If we know how to teach, if we know how to heal through this concept of vitalism and energy, then why would why should we adopt things that are not working? You know, other than of course we've talked so many times about acute care in allopathic medicine. 
Exactly. I, I, I truly agree with you. You know, it's kind of like a, a, a crisis in faith, right? It, and I, you know, I couch it almost in religious terms, but of course we know a lot of modern science utilizes this concept too, even though they would deny it. But folks that are making the leap, let's say, to address a cancer that has been diagnosed and realizing how dangerous and deadly allopathic oncology is, still have a lot of fear and trepidation of whether they're making the right move by going to a natural context or concept of detoxification, of immune modulation, all the things we talk about and you've written about extensively in the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Yeah, I think um, it's probably a phenomenon that extends beyond medicine. I think it's probably true with all the professions, you know, whether you're looking at attorneys and then they're uh, the legal counselors and the paralegals and you know, you've probably got the same type of scenario that happens probably in most professions. And it's not a judgmental call necessarily, but if you, if you want to go down a certain avenue, this is my opinion. You know, you want to go down in a manner that is, that makes you proud, but makes the profession proud of how you've handled yourself and how you've, um, taken up the challenge to further that profession. And so in the healing arts, for example, for me, even though the peer group and even though the system, the hierarchy may have a certain agenda, to me, I have to be able to sleep at night and I have to sleep well at the night. I like to sleep well at night when I do sleep and, and I do sleep very well at night. So even though it may not be going down the path that everybody expects and the profession in itself expects, how did you honor your profession by conducting yourself? And even though you know, it's kind of like the patriot thing that we talked about, Robert. You know, all the patriots during the revolution were actually considered to be, uh, what was the word, that they were considered to be traitors? Or, traitors, uh, yeah, they, they were traitors to the crown. When they abdicated, they, well, they basically said, you know, you you know what? It was not not nice to the king at the time, and he said, we don't want you. We're declaring our independence, which basically made them, uh, you know, criminals to be executed. Exactly. And so the point is that at at the time when we're making those stands and making that, drawing that line in the sand, if you will, and making a decision, how are we going to conduct ourselves? At the time, I think that uh, most people will gravitate towards what the crowd is going towards, the herd mentality. And I think the change comes from, and, and what advances society as a whole, it comes from those that don't go with the herd, but go by, you know, the gut feeling, go by what they feel is the right thing. And I think that truly all of us, all human beings inside their heart know what's right and what's wrong. They know what's true and what's false. We don't need laws to tell us that. We don't need um, courses and ethics to teach us that. I mean, you know that to steal is bad, and um, but to, to steal in order to feed a starving child, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, or to kill is wrong, but to kill to defend your family is, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, you know, it's in context. People say, well, it's a gray zone. Well, there's no gray zone. If you kill because you're trying to take somebody's property, take somebody's, um, hurt somebody for the purpose of taking advantage of them, well, that's bad. But if you kill because somebody's trying to hurt your family or trying to take away something from you and, you know, you're defending yourself in the process, well, then there's nothing wrong with it. It's just like the stealing concept. You know, to steal is wrong, but to steal to feed a child is right. So, our guts tell us what's right and wrong. And so if maybe, maybe I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I think that's what really comes down to how a person conducts themselves in a profession and in medicine, especially, you know, I have to feel 
write what I'm doing. I didn't take an oath to the medical board. I didn't take an oath to the FDA. I didn't take an oath to any medical society. I took an oath to help people to the best of my ability. And if I don't um, honor that promise, that vow that I took, then it's, I'm living a lie. And I think we've talked about this, Robert, on the air and off the air, yes. how most physicians are miserable. And I think it's because they're living a lie. They know that they're not doing what they took an oath to do. They know they're not doing what their original motivation was to go into that profession. And so that they can't help but live that lie. I mean, in other words, they, they, they can't help but be miserable. You follow what I'm saying? Well, absolutely. I mean, we talked about the higher suicide rate in the medical profession. We talked about its relationship to mercury, of course, in the dental profession. But that doesn't explain, you know, the general higher uh, incidents within the general medical population. So, indeed, when you uh, live a lie, you know, as I said, you sign up even if you went in for the right reasons, and then you just decide, well, in order to get along, i got to go along, then some of that, as I, I say, that idealism that you went in for is, you know, it's just, just kind of, it's chipped or blown up. And at that point, now you've got to, how do you make peace with what decision you've made to, or to argue that, well, I've just got to be part of this club yeah, because... Yeah, making peace is one thing. When you know that your entire existence, your entire profession is based upon a lie, meaning that you went in for a certain reason and now what you're living is completely contradictory to that, it's peace. I mean, you're, you're, how do you exist in a state of... of a, how, do you, how do you exist in a state that, is, that you know is completely based on, on a sham? Is, there's no truth to it whatsoever. I mean, I, I can't even imagine how one person could live in a state like that because you know that your entire existence means nothing because you can't stand on that. There's no foundation. I mean, it's like building building a life on quicksand. It's sinking constantly. Well, by the way, I, I mentioned to that Dr. Sensenig about your concept of uh, a you know, pile of facts like a pile of bricks doesn't make a house, and he loved it. I told him to credit you, uh, but uh, that's that concept of you know, living a life of principle eventually, those that uh, were afraid to do so because they'd lose membership in the club will gain some level of courage and make the right decision, even if it takes them years to get there. But it's I see it happening now. Yeah, I think it goes right along with some of the other comments that we've had in the last uh, year, year and a half that we've talked about how things are beginning to change and, and it's becoming very evident more of the general population is becoming aware the uh, universal consciousness is increasing, and I think that's part and parcel of what we're talking about here. Yeah, exactly. And what I want to hit at this point is the fact that we're being invited to speak in more places, and uh, in years past we might have been considered pariahs, even in some of those uh, uh, venues. And good news, really good news, I want to make an announcement here. We've officially been invited to the Autism One Conference in Chicago next year. And Dr. Batar and I evidently are going to open that thing up together like we're doing a live radio show. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting that uh, they want us to do it in that same forum. And uh, we'll see how it all goes. All right. Well, we're going to have fun. We will, as we do each and every time we're together today. We open with a little philosophical discussion. We'll get into some of the news items of the day, perhaps hear some stories from folks that are being helped by the things that we talk about together. So stand by. we got lots more healing to go. It is the Advanced Medicine Monday edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rasha Dutar. All the links are up in the show notes, and we're coming right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rock in the health world through the power of radio. 
It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. We're back, and Dr. Rashi Bittar is on a different phone now. We've had to update the signal over the break here, so if he sounds different, no fear. It really is Dr. Rashi Bittar, the international best-selling author of the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Dr. Bittar, thanks for bearing with us on that connection issue. Hey, no problem, Robert. So what do we got here? We got Autism One coming up. Very exciting. We mentioned some uh, announcements related to opening the whole conference. I'll be speaking. You'll be keynoting. Anything else we could look forward to there? At the Autism One conference, um, I'll also be doing a one-day workshop for physicians, which will be on the day that the conference opens. It opens actually Thursday evening, but all day Thursday we'll be doing a physician workshop. And then uh, at the end of the conference, we'll also be doing a parent workshop. And uh, that's the one that I'm the most excited about because I think there'll be a tremendous opportunity to really help people get them on the right track, my goal will be that there will be things that the parents will learn what they can do, that they can implement on Monday morning when they get back to their homes and be able to see a clear change in the child in less than 24 hours. Well, how often are these kind of things conducted where the parents get to have the workshop? I mean, that's just something I think is as rare as rare is. I don't think I've ever heard of a parent workshop. They have conferences for parents, and just like you know, the autism one and Dan conferences, all the different conferences. But I've never heard of a parent workshop. And I actually made the case to Ed uh, Aranga, who puts on the autism one, because he wanted me to do a physician workshop. And I said I'll be happy to do that. But really, I think what this parent workshop would provide would be far, you know, it would be a greater need and something that's never been done before. And we had probably a two-hour discussion on this, and, you know, it was funny because I could hear his excitement start to build up, and he said, right, this is going to be fantastic. I really, really think that the value that the people will get, the parents will get, will be something that will far supersede anything that's been done. In fact, I'm even going to make the case that we have a 100% money-back guarantee for anybody who attends that conference. That's how confident that I am that the information that they will get will be that valuable. Yeah, it's exciting. It's it's really it's groundbreaking, and it's way outside the box. Even for those in what you know, not only say we, what we do as new media, but in talking about medicine being advanced medicine versus the amateur hour medicine that's been conducted for a lot of years because they won't acknowledge the harm that they're causing to these families, to these children, and so we're not waiting for approval for these things. We literally know what is working, and we want to let that out. Well, you know, it's interesting that you called it amateur hour, but it, that's exactly what it is. That's actually a very appropriate description of what medicine has been over the last 20, 30 years, possibly even more. I like the way you paint these little pictures with words, Robert. I like that, the amateur hour. Yeah, don't try this at home lest anyone would get hurt, and I'd have to come and help you with some Arnica Montana. That's right. <laughs> well, that's actually, I, I totally agree with that, because that really has been what has occurred over the last 30 to 40 years in medicine. And I've often equated that if the medical profession was like the computer technology, we would still have computers that were the sizes of a small office building, <laughs> as opposed to how technology has advanced so quickly that we can now have computers that we can hold in the palm of our hands, like these smartphones, you can do everything on a smartphone. You can create a PowerPoint presentation. You can send your email. You can talk on the phone. 
you can surf the internet, you can purchase items, you can trade the markets, you can, you know, create documents, you can do anything on these little handheld phones. And yet, 30, 40 years ago, you needed a computer that was housed in a four-story, uh, 40, 50,000 square foot building. But look at medicine. Medicine is just as archaic as that computer housed in a four-story, 50,000 square foot building. That's how archaic it is. Because if medicine did advance at the same rate of technology, uh, computer technology, for instance, we would be way beyond the tricorn in Star Trek, you know, scanning people, fixing the problems, and boom, going on to the next thing. Well, Dr. Batar, it's, it's like the things you're doing, what I'm doing, and there are others that we acknowledge and, and respect that are doing, but they're putting a little bit of uh, shame into those that have maintained or tried to maintain this monopoly status. They're looking more and more absurd. They're looking more and more like that four-story building housing the computer that now fits in the palm of our hand. And I think it's catching up with them because the public, which actually has the ultimate vote, the public is getting tired. They don't trust the medical profession anymore, just like they don't trust many of the, you know, the... Hold on, we're, oh, the, the, the break is catching up to both of us. we got to take one here on Advanced Medicine Monday. Continuing this, discuss, this discussion uh, afterwards, stick around. Advanced Medicine Monday continues with Dr. Rasha Bittar after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. world to the power of radio it's the robert scott bell show sorry that break uh, snuck up on me so quickly dr Vitar. i apologize for that i mean again the discussions of, of what we're, we're we're going on about always fascinate me when we get together of course uh you know i make jokes about uh, amateur medicine but it, you know these sometimes these lighthearted jokes are not so jokey they actually have a lot of pointedness to them but again, whenever you, you stand in a monopolistic system, you limit innovation, you limit change, you limit anything that challenges the establishment or orthodoxy, and that's what we're seeing, and that's what's crumbling right now. And again, I, I believe that's why we're going to be doing what we're doing at Autism One coming up next year. So, very exciting. Yeah, it is exciting, Robert, and I agree with you that the significant changes that have occurred throughout history in any society have always occurred not based upon the decision or the desire of some organization or some society or some group or some political party. It's always been based upon when the public no longer tolerated uh, whatever was being portrayed as the, the status quo. So when the public demanded a change, when the public uh, necessitated a shift in the current paradigm, you know, it, it was then and only then that a change of significance occurred. And that is, I think, the point that we're at now. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And it kind of, you know, comes back to where I started with my experience at the naturopathic conference that there's a schism, not just in allopathic medicine, but even within chiropractic medicine, uh, naturopathic medicine, etc that they're these those that have the desire that look in that they want to be like you said in the club and those that say screw the club i'm not in it for that i'm in it to help the folks that need help and i'm going to find a way to help them that's exactly really the definition of a herxheimer's response and that's what we're having we're having a herxheimer's response in the profession of healing yeah exactly right and look at the, you know there's a story here off of us news and world reports 
talking about the top hospitals opting out of Obamacare. So it isn't just individual doctors, but to some degree, the hospitals themselves, for their own survival, are saying, we can't participate in this any longer. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to be the new bastion for innovation, but it is also indicative that it will happen at all levels of medicine. Yeah, that's true. You know, I still don't quite understand what the implications of Obamacare are going to be, except that they're going to be negative. But, you know, when they talk about opt-in and opt-out, and I don't understand what the implications are. I just know that they're dire, but you don't know really what that means. I have no idea what it's going to mean for the profession of medicine. I just know a lot of doctors are leaving the profession of medicine. I, I don't know. I can't envision how it's going to affect natural medicine because natural medicine has for so long not been covered anyway by the insurance industry. So I don't know what, the, what type of impact it's going to have on that field, but you know, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. I think that what you commented a few weeks back when you said that it's going to end up crumbling under its own weight because it's a monolith and it's not able to even, you know, support its own structure, its own weight. It's right. just going to collapse upon itself. So, yeah, Dr. Batar, I, you know, I, I want to shock you with this. You, I know you weren't able to listen to last hour before you came on, but had an interview with a guy who was at a New York naturopathic conference, said he met with the CEO of Aetna, Aetna, that huge insurance firm, Mark uh, Bertolini, I think is his name, and he basically claimed that, uh, he said the, ho- the, the whole system needs to come crashing down. It just absolutely needs to be destroyed. The concept of insurance as it is, as it applies today in healthcare. I mean, that's the head of Aetna saying this. So this stuff is going very deep and very high up. Wow. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, too, that, you know, who are the political parties at play here that are benefiting from these decisions? So you know there was a lot of back backdoor Mexican bazaar-style uh, negotiations and bartering going on because somebody is getting a big chunk of this change somewhere. I mean, there's no other motivation to put a monolith like this out there unless somebody's going to be getting a, a big cash payday, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, but, but you know, someone like the head of Aetna at a naturopathic conference, he knows because he's been challenged with his own health and found that the healthcare system that they cover is wanting and decided, I have to go into naturopathy or some other form of natural medicine to get well, and they see it in, their, in the cells of their own family, and that's this is the breaking point. You know, the fact that as much money as there is out there to be made surreptitiously through the government and the government contracts and the bids and the no-bids, the fact is one day they, they're confronted with cancer and they realize the cancer industry is going to kill them. So you're saying actually the head of Ethno is there at the Naturopathic Conference because he's himself experienced So there's two plays here. One is Obamacare and it's non-viability, and then you've got the medical profession and it's non-viability. Yeah. And then the insurance yeah. industry or the higher-ups recognizing that the entire model does not work, that this is not yeah. the appropriate place for insurance. Stop clamoring for coverage because I've got my friends, good friends that are, are far left, that's going, we need universal health care coverage, we need the government to cover natural medicine, and I'm saying, no, 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 we don't. It'll be a disaster because it will corrupt the natural medicine the way it's corrupted even the goodness in modern medicine. Well, I think it's true that any time the government gets its hands into something, the quality goes down, the ability to create new things goes down, the ability to innovate and advance a technology or a science or a service or whatever it is is going to be reduced. 
And you don't have to look very far to see this historically. And not you don't have to see it in just our own modern society. You can go back in history and see in every society that every time the governing body took over any type of industry, it became a fiasco. In fact, Anne Rand, who wrote Atlas Shrugged, is a perfect example. I mean, her stories had a very, very specific message. You know who I'm talking about, Anne Rand? Of course. If you think about Atlas Shrugged and um, uh, the Fountainhead. Fountainhead, yeah, yeah. I mean, they just we're living that right now. Sure, we're not talking about the steel industry, or but we're talking about the same concepts and the same precepts and the same lessons to be learned, the same morals. They're they're we're, we're living the consequences of what Anne Rand had said however many years ago when she wrote those books. Well, as government uh, became more involved in the delivery of medicine, the allopathic medical monopoly, which, by the way, didn't happen organically. It happened, again, via the Flexner Report and a lot of uh, backroom deals, like you mentioned. The costs have gone up, the quality has gone down, and people are clamoring for more government intervention because they don't know history. So they're clamoring for the very thing that created the problem to begin with all those years ago. Successive generations are not taught the history so that they're duped into believing that it's a marketplace problem when there hasn't been a real free marketplace in medicine in 50, 60, 70 years. Actually, Robert, it goes a lot longer than that because look at people like uh, Royal Rife. Okay. Yes. But if you look at Nathan Gaston's and you look at Kelly, then you can say 56 years. But if you go back to Rife, you know, you're looking at closer to 80, 90 years, almost 100 years. Sure. And we go back into the 1800s, late 1800s, with the founding of the American Medical Association with the express intent and purpose to wipe out its major competition at the time, homeopathy. And it played itself out over decades until the Flexner Report, Rockefeller Carnegie, could fund it. So, again, our our lack of real knowledge of history has been our Achilles heel here. And it still remains as so as millions of Americans don't see the problem for what it is and only see more government intervention and more inevitable growth as they perceive it uh, of this so-called universal health care system that they perceive as uh, you know, kind of a, a utopian ideal that would really work, that in the countries that it exists, uh, certainly some of the folks are happier about certain aspects of it, but it doesn't have at its root the foundation of freedom, the freedom to heal by any means you feel is right. You know, this comes back to something that you just mentioned about the truth about the historical perspective. In other words, that we're not taught the real history. And this reminds me of, again, Liam's book, Official Stories, uh, Ty's book, the new one that's coming out. I don't even remember what Monumental that. Myths. <laughs> it's a long title. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that, I've just uh, written a review for that book. Um, I didn't remember what the title was, but... You know, these books, and I have to admit, Robert, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I have to admit it, that some of these historical perspectives, I did not know even two years ago, even when we, you know, we've been on the air now over two years. We're, yes. Right? Over two years? Or, yes, indeed. Yeah, over two years. Yeah, we, we're actually almost finished with the third year. We're a couple months short from finishing our third year. Is that right? It's incredible. I knew the, the body oh of... The body of things we've been able to unleash on in that time is just stunning. <laughs> you know, I look back and I, I shake my it's head. It's been three years. I was thinking, I was second guessing myself, saying, wait a second, am I exaggerating? Yeah, it is. Um, in February, it'll be three years, right? Yeah, well, Groundhog's Day of the year 2011, I believe. And uh, wow. that means uh, Groundhog's Day of 2014 will be three years complete. Wow. 
Well, I have to admit that even, you know, two, three years ago, I didn't know many of the things that I've learned through association with Ty and with Liam. And I've always considered myself pretty well-versed in history and, and understanding how some of these things have operated and some of the illusions that have been created. But, for example, Ty's lecture at the Advanced Medicine Seminar that we did in Charlotte, when he talked about hemp, when he talked about marijuana and the historical perspective of it, and, and the quotes that he gave and the, that they were associated with Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and how important hemp was to the American society from, you know, not just from a medicinal purpose, but from uh, an industrial purpose to create paper and create products. And create, mm-hmm. I mean, I had no idea hemp was so universal and so important from a societal context as it was until I heard Ty's lecture. I didn't realize the importance historically of the Flexner Report. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand some of these official components like, you know, we talk about oh, how important is the vaccine industry? Well, look at polio and how we stamped out polio. And then when you start looking at the truth and the association of polio and the ups and downs in the surges of polio were completely paralleled with the association of DDT, the usage of DDT. Right. And when DDT levels went down, then polio went down. When DDT went up, then polio went up. And all these components, you know, instead of talking about the historical perspective, we talk about, we create this, illusion, or not we, but meaning that the people that have written history have created this illusion that allow people to now see something completely fabricated that they didn't, they so far departed from the truth, it's almost like diametrically opposite. I know. Well, listen, that's the journey. You know, keep journeying with us here on Advanced Medicine Monday on the Robert Scott Bell Show, and this is this is the places that we will go. And um, I'm happy to do it with you. We're going to take a break. We'll be back and talk about a uh, historical infectious disease of some kind that seems to be making a comeback, and we'll give you the scoop on that as well. So stand by. We'll be right back. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Once again, if you want to see Dr. Rashid Bittar and Liam Sheff together in one place, along at Jim Halver's uh, uh, conference, we've got that linked up in the show notes. It's in Bremen, Georgia, starting Thursday. Uh, this Thursday coming up, that's the 7th of November. And, of course, 8th, 9th, and 10th, I'll be in Atlanta as well. Uh, for the Weston Price Conference. And before that, this Wednesday, come out and see me in Seattle. We've got the uh, Vitamin Life event Wednesday evening out there. So looking forward to that. Uh, tomorrow, the Refusers, Michael Belkin, will be joining me in Seattle for our show. And Dr. Bittar, we talk about historical perspectives. How about on infectious disease? I mean, we go back to Dr. Samuel Hahnemann, the founder of homeopathy, and how he identified by reviewing medical journals of his day the use of cinchona, the bark of the, the cinchona tree, to reverse and prevent malaria and how that became a mainstay starting point for homeopathy. This must be the article during the break that you mentioned about the resurgence of malaria, I take it. Yeah, exactly. It's all over the place. CDC is claiming malaria cases have hit a 40-year high in the U.S. But when you look at the story and you hear the announcements, it's not like it's happening in the U.S. It's like people in the U.S. that are visiting India and Africa 
are coming back with malaria impacting things. And there are a number of reasons for that, but they won't go into that in the news media. Which is not surprising. So what, what do you think the reasons are? Well, yeah, I think we come back to the the basis for why we need the nine steps to keep the doctor away, because the people that are going out overseas now are weaker than ever before. And even if they're relying on the anti-malarial medications, you know, there's evidence of resistance of those things as well. I'm glad you said that because I didn't know where you were going to go with this. But yes, toxicity will cause a suppression of the immune system and become a major, major reason, if not the the most major of all reasons for the susceptibility of the individual to succumb to these pathogenic, what I call them the third toxicity aspect, the opportunistics, which is the mycoplasma, the spirochetes, the yeast, the bacteria, the, you know, virus, et cetera, et cetera. So right. the point that you're making, the toxicity aspect, is universal. And I totally agree with you. This would be the same issue that has caused the resurgence of some of these other components that people have talked about, you know, is it possible that there's been an increase in uh, chicken pox? Is there, is the people have talked about whooping pox resurgence and some of these other components that are going on. There's been, it's relatively rare to see the coccemia, uh, the, the, what causes meningococcemia to occur, but even then, uh, we've seen a resurgence in that. In fact, in Mecklenburg County, in North Carolina, where I'm at, I saw two of the first four cases of meningococcemia in the late 90s, and that hadn't been seen in probably, you know, 10 years before that, 15 years, but then they had this little bit of a resurgence in meningococcemia. So why are people getting rid of certain things and we don't see them in society and then they start to come back? Well, I believe it's because of that susceptibility that's mm-hmm. induced by the increased toxic burden, which is exactly where you're going with this, and I'm yes. glad that you were going with it because you know that's what my, I'm the trash man. I, you know, we, I always like to consider ourselves as we're nothing more than glorified sanitation engineers. We are trash men. We take out the trash. You take the trash out of the body, the body starts working better. But we, we're utilizing innovative new techniques to respond to extraordinary circumstances, and that is the overwhelming toxicity on the planet and the people that are not aware and being inundated by these things, and then they... You know, they could succumb to the propaganda that's going to claim, well, it's because vaccination rates are falling. That's the reason people are getting sick again. It's an absolute lie. We know that. But if you don't understand what we're talking about here, you might fall prey to that propaganda. Right. And I think empowerment through knowledge is the key because as we become empowered with knowledge, then we can no longer become victims to this type of propaganda. And it's interesting that the Dalai Lama, when I heard him speak a a month or so ago, had said that he felt that the challenge for the 21st century was a healthy mind, and the healthy mind, what he was talking about, was empowerment with knowledge to allow us to understand how and why we should do certain things. But he was talking about the biggest challenge he thought towards health Mm -hmm. was the mind, and the mind was to empower the mind by knowing what you needed to do to, to be healthy. Well, with that, it's a perfect perfect place to uh, leap today because we're about out of time here. Another Advanced Medicine Monday in the can, so to speak, but it's uh, it's one that keeps on giving, that healing gift, and I appreciate you so much, Dr. Batar. I'm looking forward. Everybody come out to Atlanta and Bremen, Georgia. we got a couple of events basically in the same area, North Georgia, and uh, we hope to see you there. And in the meantime, come on back for next week uh, because uh, this is the place where we bring the power to heal back to you. That's why we say the power to heal is yours.
The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.